welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everyone. My apologies, just got caught in a conversation. You're all waiting. <laughs> uh, my name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Welcome to you. Uh, if you are visiting or new, it can be a big deal to come to a church, and so we're really glad you're here. If anyone is interested in connecting at Awaken, there's a connection card that you can fill out from our website. There's a little QR code in front of you, or a physical connection card. If you fill one of those out, someone from our staff will contact you. We would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice and get to know you a little bit better. Um, any tithes and offerings are a number of ways to give. We have Venmo. That's pretty cool. Um, and then, or any physical ties and offerings or connection cards can go into the black boxes by each of the doors. Uh, a couple of things happening around here. Uh, it's officially summer this week, right? It's, it's here. Um, we have a number of kids community events happening throughout the summer. A couple of them are coming up next week. So next Sunday after the gathering, we are hosting a pack-and-play event. So bring a lunch, head over to Palace, Communi Palace Park Community Center after the second gathering. That's just a time to eat together and get to know other folks in a similar stage of life. Um, and then Camp Create is happening June 26th, 6 p.m. here. Camp Create, we have a bunch of artists in our community who offer their time and talent um, to entertain your kids, maybe teach them a new skill. So June 26th, 6 p.m. here will be watercolors. There are a number of things through the summer, so you can check the website to learn more about that. Um, we are hosting guest, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner again. Uh, so the idea of that is you sign up and a handful of people that you may know or not know go to a house and have a meal together, uh, which is very fun, believe it or not, for the introverts in the room. It is actually a very fun experience. It is just a couple hours with a small group of people. That is very doable. Um, and so we are looking for people who would host that. The event itself will be July 26th at 6.30. But we're looking, if you have a patio or a deck, we're doing a low-key version of it. So just appetizers and desserts. Um, and if you are interested in hosting for that event, you can sign up by June 26th. Sunday, July 2nd, a couple weeks from now, we are doing worship in the park. So gathering will not be happening here. It's one gathering at 1030 over at Highland Park Pavilion. You'll bring a lunch. Uh, bring a lawn chair or a blanket, and that will be the first Sunday after the annual meeting. So our denominational annual meeting is happening June 29th. So there is a decision that will be happening on whether or not we can continue in that denomination. So we're still figuring out communication for that. That July 2nd might be the first day that you hear from Micah about it. Um, so would love to have you join us for that. Um, and then finally, this is more just a heads up. We are paying attention to numbers on Sunday mornings about going to one gathering or not. If we do go to one gathering, that would be July 9th at the earliest, and it would just be 1030. That is not officially happening, 
but this is just a reminder, maybe read your email. <laughs> we'll communicate that as fast as we can, but we wanted to at least give a heads up that that's a conversation we're happening. We just want to see what numbers are through June. Um, that is all I have for announcements. Um, we are very lucky this morning to be hearing from Tom Elbinson. Tom has been with Awaken for a very long time. He founded International Association for Refugees, also known as IAFR, uh, one of our ministry partners. And so this morning, um, we get to hear from him, sort of in light of Refugee Day, which is happening July, June 20th every year. So if you would welcome Tom. Good morning, Awaken. It's good to be together. I love Sundays. I love telling my friends I love my church, because um, I do. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, you might, maybe you were here, Micah spoke on the theme of exile. Anybody remember that? Um, last week, Pastor Kelly Chapman was here, and he introduced us to his friend Mary Maker, who drew upon her experience as a refugee as she reflected on the book of Ruth. And this morning, we're going to reflect on the global refugee crisis and how it relates to the Lord's Prayer. It's good timing because Tuesday is World Refugee Day, a day that the United Nations established back in about 2002 to encourage us to call to mind the people who have been uprooted by the forces of hatred and violence in the world. So God has put this theme before us several times this month. And I have to ask myself, what is it that God wants us to take to heart? I'd like to start with a word of prayer. Father, how good it is to be together here in your presence. We long to hear your voice. We want more of your heart beating in our hearts as individuals and as a community of faith. So we yield our hearts and our minds to you and invite you to speak to us and press upon us the things we need to hear this morning. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 2015, I found myself in southeast Turkey. I was visiting a group of Yazidi refugees from Iraq. They had fled from ISIS because it was murdering their men and kidnapping their wives and their daughters. They were in a makeshift refugee camp in a public park that was operated by a group of Turkish Kurds that the Turkish government considers to be terrorists. The refugees were determined to try to find a way to get to the European Union, the EU. They knew that the EU was already fortifying its borders and building fences and walls to try to prevent a fresh flood of refugees from reaching their borders. And a friend of mine in Turkey told me that the refugees were planning a large protest along the Turkish-Bulgarian border to try and get the attention of the European Union because they thought if the, European, if the European Union saw their desperation, 
Surely they would have mercy. Surely they would understand they need protection. I went there to consult with the refugees because I knew their plan would only serve to stoke the fears of the European Union and accelerate the building of the walls and the fences. And while visiting, I met a, a man approached me with a child. We spoke through an interpreter together. I'm sorry to say I don't remember the name of the child. I call him Nas because of the designer tag on his shirt. The man told me how the boy's family had been killed by ISIS. Unwilling to leave the boy behind, the man and his family grabbed the boy and took them with them as they fled to Turkey. The man told me that he and his family were determined to get to Europe, but they, they didn't want to take the boy with them because they knew the journey would be so dangerous. So he asked me to take the boy. The man was in an impossible situation. And the boy was caught up in a drama that he could not possibly understand. I have another friend, her name is Mama Fartoon, and her home was hit by a rocket many years ago in Mogadishu. She was in her kitchen at the time, and her two young children survived the blast. An aunt saw Mama and thought she was dead. So she scooped up Mama's children and fled to Kenya. The aunt and the children were later resettled to the U.S., and they grew up thinking their mother was dead. But Mama did not die in the blast. And when she had recovered and found the opportunity, she also fled to Kenya for safety. She did not know what had become of her children for many, many years. I first met Mama on the dirt road outside of her shelter in Kakuma refugee camp. She had recently learned where her children were, and she showed me some documents. And she asked me to help her get reunited with her children. But the situation is so complex. Mama remarried and has three children in the camp. Her children in the U.S. were initially hesitant to believe that their mother was really alive. And their guardian has not been eager to help move the reunification process forward. Even if she did come to the U.S., she would not be able to take her family in the refugee camp with her. It would take many, many years for her, after arriving in the U.S., to get her family, to be, her family there to come here. And even if she started the reunification process today, it would take many, many years before she would ever get clearance to come. These stories are playing out this morning even as we gather for worship. People are forced to make impossible decisions every day. There were around 20 million uh, people displaced by the forces of hatred and violence in the world 
when I began working among refugees in 1980. And then in 2009, when I founded International Association for Refugees, their number had doubled to 40 million. That number has more than doubled since then to a staggering 108.4 million people today. That's one in every 74 people in the world. The United Nations anticipates that number to increase to 117 million this year. Of that number, about 35 million, a little more, didn't only get forced to flee their home, but they were also forced to cross an international border to go to another country to try to seek refuge. Those are people we call refugees, the ones who were forced to flee both their homes and their country. Over 35 million such people in the world right now. So where do you think they come from? I'm tempted to pull a mica here and do an all play and hear what countries you might throw out into the space, but I'm not going to do that. Um, for time's sake and everything else, let me just tell you that the 90% of the world's refugees come from just 10 countries. And Syria leads the pack with 6.5 million Syrians displaced across international borders. You can find Syrian refugees in 131 countries today. The Ukraine follows with 5.7 million refugees. That number might seem familiar to some of us because that's the population of Minnesota. And then we have Afghanis and Venezuelans and people from South Sudan and Myanmar then the Democratic Republic of Congo and Sudan and Somalia and the Central African Republic. These are the 10 countries from which 90% of the world's refugees come from. So where do they go? Who's hosting all these people? What do you think? I had a friend who once asked me why the uh, Muslim world isn't doing more to help refugees. And he was making an assumption when he said that. So let me tell you who hosts the most refugees on the planet today. Turkey leads the pack. Turkey has 3.6 million refugees in its border. Iran is second on the list with 3.4 million refugees. And then Colombia and then Germany, and then Pakistan, and Uganda, and Russia, and Sudan, and Peru, and then Poland. All of these countries host nearly a million or many millions of refugees in their borders. It's interesting what nations don't show up on that list. Last year, so between January of 2022 and January of 2023, the number of, of forcibly displaced people in the world grew by 19 million people. That's the same number of the total number of forcibly displaced people back in 1980. It's the largest increase of refugees, asylum seekers, and internally displaced people that the United Nations has ever recorded just in one year. 
Okay, statistics can be numbing. They can be overwhelming. It's easy to forget that they represent people. Most of them are women and children. And they're people like Nas and Mama. When IFR first started working in Kakuma refugee camp in remote northwestern Kenya back in 2010, the population there was a staggering 95,000 people. Today, it offers refuge to 255,000 people. And many have been there for more than a decade. And new people arrive every day. I visited a group of recently arrived refugees at the reception center there in April. A group of women and children called to us from their side of the fence. And a mother told us that they're going to have to live in a floorless UN tent for at least seven months before a simple shelter in the refugee camp is ready for them. I could see the question in their eyes. What will become of us? I was with my friend and IAFR colleague, Jean-Pierre Guterra, and he shared with them how he was once in their shoes, a new arrival at Kakuma refugee camp. And Guterra spent nearly 20 years there. He got married there. He had three children there before being resettled to the U.S. in 2016. And he told them from his own experience that his faith in Jesus was critical to his survival. And I think our faith in Jesus can help us navigate these staggering numbers and this horrific reality in the world today, especially when we're feeling powerless to do anything to help. I've recently found the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, as a source of hope and strength in the face of this reality. I'd like to have us read it from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And if you would, it's our practice as awakened to stand when we read from the scriptures. So if you'd stand if you're able. So Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. Amen. You may be seated. I want us to focus on the first part of this prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven. So let's just stop for a minute. Heaven. Many of us think or have been kind of programmed to think that heaven is somewhere way far away up there, right? But heaven is the realm around us in which the will of God is done. It's not far away. We don't see heaven, but it is the realm around us in which the will of God is done. And so Jesus says, our Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of longing, of lament, and of hope. It recognizes that all is not well in the world and that we cannot save ourselves. But it's also a declaration of hope. It is an expression of faith that God sees, God hears, God cares, and that God is active and engaged in time and space, and that God has not abandoned us to our own demise. To pray this prayer is to declare our alliance with God, our identification as the people of God, and of our commitment to partner with God in the rescue and restoration of all things. For we are the body of Christ. We are the physical manifestation of Jesus' presence in the world today. Jesus said that we will be people who feed the hungry, who give the thirsty something to drink, who welcome the stranger, who provide clothes to those who need it, who care for the sick, and who visit those in detention. You could say that those who follow Jesus live lives marked by compassion and hospitality. We naturally desire to protect those who are vulnerable and marginalized. For this is how God's kingdom comes. This is how God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In December 2012, Antonio Guterres, then UN High Commissioner for Refugees, called representatives from all over the world, from all the religions in the world, to Geneva. In short, he was hoping to strengthen the relationship and the partnership with the United Nations, humanitarian players, and the faith-based world. He said that humanitarian players do a pretty good job when it comes to helping people survive physically in the midst of humanitarian disasters. But he said the people they serve face another crisis, a crisis of hope. And Guterres acknowledged that the United Nations and the humanitarian world do not deal in the currency of hope. And so he looked to the faith-based world and he hoped that we would step in to this aspect of the global refugee crisis. Here's what he said. Listening to their stories and witnessing their daily struggle in exile or displacement, I quickly understood that for the vast majority of uprooted people, there are few things as powerful as their faith in helping them cope with fear, loss, separation, and destitution. Faith is also central to hope and resilience. Religion very often is key in enabling refugees to overcome their trauma, to make sense of their loss, and to rebuild their lives from nothing. 
Worship and religious traditions help uprooted people reconfirm their identity as individuals and as members of a community. Faith provides a form of personal and collective support among victims that is crucial for their ability to recover from conflict and flight. As such, faith contributes much more than many people, realize, many, many people think to the protection and well-being of refugees. This is coming from the Palace of Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, from the United Nations. Do you hear the cry for help? The world needs the people of God to show up in the lives of forcibly displaced people in life-giving ways. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, Mary Maker shared how the refugee experience strips people of their humanity. And she told us of her deep longing to be seen. And she acknowledged that she lost hope while a refugee in Kakuma refugee camp. And to lose hope is no small thing. Hope is to the soul what air is to our lungs. This is where the, ch why, this is where the church has such an important role to play. At our very core, churches are safe and welcoming communities of hope and healing. We're com there's communities of Christ followers all over the planet, almost everywhere now. And churches can be found wherever you find refugees. In fact, there are refugee churches in refugee camps like Kakuma. So, what if the church at large worked together with refugee churches and with churches in places hosting forcibly displaced people. And what if the forcibly displaced people around us experience churches to be rehumanizing communities of hope and healing? What if we as churches made sure that these women, children, and men know that they are seen, know that they are welcome, and know that they are safe with us. These are not things humanitarian organizations or the UN can do. Even government organizations can't do that. But they play to the strengths of a healthy local community of Christ followers. Mary told us a story last week that I want to repeat. Maybe you missed it. She told a story about a child on a beach. Hundreds or thousands of starfish had washed ashore on this beach, and there was this child who saw them dying, and so she was picking them up one at a time and throwing them back into the sea. An adult came along and asked her what she's doing and said, do you really think you can save them all? And the child looked at the starfish in her hand and said, maybe not, but I can help this one. Mary noted 
that refugees can reestablish their lives if they just get some help to get back into the sea. They don't need or want us to do everything for them. They just need an opportunity to begin rebuilding their lives. So, we can do what we can, knowing that it is through seemingly small acts of compassion, kindness, and hospitality that the kingdom comes. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know the global refugee crisis is not only found in faraway countries. It's right here on the streets of the Twin Cities. Like the smoke in our skies tells us the fire is burning out of control over a thousand miles away in Canada. So the people in our neighborhoods tell us that war, persecution, and gross violations of human rights, the forces of hatred and violence, are gaining momentum in the world. And so we lament that all is not well. And we admit that try as we might, we cannot save ourselves. And yet, we hope. Knowing that God sees, God hears, and God cares for us. Knowing that God is active and engaged in time and space. And so again, we declare our alliance with God, committing ourselves to partnering with God in the rescue and renewal of all things, knowing that it will be through our small, seemingly small acts of kindness, compassion, and hospitality that the kingdom comes. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I like that. It's nice to be in a friendly gathering. Um, sadly, that's not always true. I could speak the same words in another even church context, and it would not be nearly as friendly. And you, we all know that. So, Awaken, thank you for making it easy this morning. Although there is a part of me that would like to be in a, an environment where uh, some of this stuff needs to be shared as well. Awaken, you're already, as Jenna mentioned, you're already partnering with International Association for Refugees as we together now are helping meet, we're showing up in the lives of asylum seekers and refugees here in the Twin Cities, in Colorado, in Atlanta, in France, in Austria, and in uh, Sarajevo, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, in Athens, and in Kenya, and in Malawi. And hopefully that's going to keep growing. We're working now trying to find a way to get some people on the border, our southern border, on both sides of that border, maybe partnering with the Latino church to meet the asylum seekers that are there who need to know we love them, we welcome them, and they are safe with us. Some of our people here in the community have volunteered with Jonathan House. It's one of IAFR's ministries. It's local right here to provide shelter and community for asylum seekers. Did you know there's like over 12,000 asylum seekers right here in our own cities? People who made their way to the U.S. and are asking the U.S. to please give them asylum, give them protection, give them a place to stay. I'm thankful for those who volunteered. 
I also know that some of the people in our community have invited refugees to come live in their houses. That's hospitality. I know others have actually bought houses or apartments in order to host refugees that are resettling to the Twin Cities. That's amazing. Some of us have traveled together to Kakuma Refugee Camp, primarily so that the people know, the people there know, that they are seen and that they're heard and that they are not forgotten. I have no doubt there are many other ways, maybe very unseen by the rest of us, but that there are many ways that the people in this community are engaging with forcibly displaced people in life-giving ways. Caring for forcibly displaced people seems to be embedded in the DNA of this community, and I love that. So, we, Awaken, have demonstrated that we are not powerless and that we are making a meaningful difference in the lives of the people caught up in the global refugee crisis. Again, it's like a, it's like a refrain, right? But it's through our acts of compassion, generosity, kindness, and hospitality that the kingdom comes to our displaced friends. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to close with an invitation for us to look for ways to create space in the hearts and minds of others for refugees and asylum seekers. This is perhaps one of the most important things we can do together as a community of faith. Back in 2012, Antonio Guterres made the following observation. Faith-based organizations and local religious institutions, you could just say local churches there, can help create and strengthen welcoming communities for refugees. In anxious times such as the one we are living in today, foreigners and migrants face negative attitudes in many places around the world, which diminishes the protection space available to refugees and asylum seekers. Racism, xenophobia, and religious intolerance undermine the universal values of tolerance and respect for human dignity. Faith-based organizations and religious leaders can play an immensely positive role in countering such sentiments and building tolerant and inclusive communities based on the common values of caring and respect for the stranger. Oh, man. Who knew I'd be reading from the book of the United Nations this morning? But it sounds familiar. You know, before that meeting in Geneva, the High Commissioner for Refugees asked every religion in the world to prepare a one- to two-page paper on what their holy book says about caring for the stranger, and specifically refugees. And every religion in the world submitted a paper to the United Nations, and every religion in the world said their book says we're supposed to love and welcome the stranger. Fascinating. God knows our book, the Bible, is full of encouragement for us to welcome the stranger, to love the orphan, the widow, the alien. And what alien is most like the orphan and widow, if not the refugee? 
Thank you, Awaken, for being an example of what this looks like in the world today. You know, there's no shortage of voices misrepresenting refugees and asylum seekers, especially when election seasons come around, right? They're often portrayed as a threat to our safety or as some kind of unwanted people. And recognizing that they do not have a voice, they cannot advocate for themselves. I encourage us all to express our solidarity, our respect, and our concern for their well-being. Let's look for opportunities to influence our friends, our families, our peers, our colleagues. Let's leverage social media, especially on Tuesday, World Refugee Day. Let's leverage it to advocate on behalf of forcibly displaced people. Let's give them a voice. Let's help them be seen. And let's try to create some space in the hearts and minds of others for them. As we do it, perhaps our cities, our state, maybe even our nation, will become more inclined to see them as people in need of safety. IAFR has some resources that can help you do that. You can go to IAFR.org, go to the Awaken site, and you can link to it as well if you can't remember that. But this morning, I invite us to lament that all is not well on planet Earth. And I invite us to dare to hope for a better future as we pray. Father in heaven, Father with us here, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks, Tom. In 2019, I had the opportunity to travel with Tom and a small group of people to Kakuma in Kenya refugee camp. And there were two reflections primarily that uh, I left with. One being uh, the effect when policy, like the effect of policy decisions on people. And so if a country cuts funding to the UN, that impact is in food rations for refugees. That was a really amazing, um, sad thing to see. But the second thing is, I've never been in a place like Tom said, where hope truly is like breath. And I've never been in a place where I've seen the church as a container for that hope um, and meaning making purpose. Um, and so, I know that so many of you are involved in so many things, and if you're feeling invited um, to learn more, um, I'm just going to give a shout out to IFR. It costs $1,000 to build a shelter or a church in the refugee camp. 
that's like get a couple life groups together um, and make a donation uh, for something like that. So lots of ways to get involved. Again, you can look at our website or go to IFR.org. Uh, as we transition here to a time of response, um, would you pray with me for a moment of silence? God, thank you that you are the one who sees, who cares, who hears um, all your people on this planet. So God, we take a moment to pause um, and let your spirit minister. We're going to transition to a time of singing together. Um, during this time, communion will be available to you on each side. All of the bread is gluten-free. There's red wine and white grape juice. You can take the bread and dip it in the cup, and as you do that, hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. There's hand sanitizer before you take that. Um, so we invite you to sing. Well, friends, receive these words as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.